you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Network on iHeartMedia. Before we begin, I want to give some thanks to our team. Thank you, Grayson Cole, for our graphics, Pepper Chambers for writing, Angelo Greco and Anna Mesa for managing our social media, Tiffany Hale for everything, Erica England for Patreon support, and our production team at Large Media. That's L-A-R-J-Media.com. Also, let me tell you what we have going on over at Patreon. Patreon is like our family where you can become a member and get access to every episode commercial free plus videos of inspiration from yours truly merchandise deals and a lot more head over to patreon.com forward slash hello somebody and become a member today all proceeds from patreon go to support the production of this podcast Dr. James Zogby is the founder and president of the Arab American Institute, a Washington, D.C.-based organization which serves as the political and policy research arm of the Arab American community. Dr. Zogby was also uh, once the director of Zogby Research Services, which specializes in groundbreaking public opinion polling across the Arab world. Zogby is a lecturer and a scholar in Middle Eastern affairs. Join me right now as we have a deep historic conversation with the one and only Dr. Zogby. And we talk about the Rainbow Coalition set ablaze by the one and only Jesse Jackson Sr. We dabble a little bit. We dip into Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm and the impact that she had in the 70s and very much showing the continuum of history and how the struggle never ends. That justice is not a destination. It is a journey. Hello, somebody. All right. Doc, it's good to be with you today. Thank you, Nina. 
Oh my God, this is very special. I mean, you and I were uh, days away, <laughs> well, one day, um, just to talk about the religious for a minute, if we might. Uh, you and mm-hmm. I are both Christians, and we're actually having this interview a day away from Good Friday. Yeah, so I've been. I am a re- Good Friday. I am a Good Friday Christian. <laughs> uh, there's a line in Paul where he says that if it were not for the the resurrection, our faith would be pointless. And I profoundly disagree. I, I find the story leading up to Good Friday and Good Friday itself to be compelling in and of itself. Um, and I, um, I grew up in the Maronite Church, where the, the, the Lebanese Catholic Church, where yes. the Good Friday service is, uh, is so powerful because they take the wooden body off the cross and they put it on a pall. And they process around the church like a burial and uh, people put flowers on it um, and they sing a song uh, that is Mary's lament. It's my child. What have they done to you? I bore you in my womb. I carried you and nursed you as an infant. And now look at what they've done to you. And then it's, it's really powerful. And then at the end, uh, as they, after they finish with the procession, they bury it um, in a tomb, uh, and they don't take it out again till Easter Sunday. It's uh, it's the peasant church, you know. There's a difference between the the urban church and the peasant church, and the peasant church is 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 real and focused on the humanity of Jesus. And um, I I grew up with that, and I, I feel that deeply. that and I too I grew up in the Christian church and my mother was a preacher I say it was because she's not on this plane of existence anymore but this is a a high time for us in the Christian faith and by the time people hear our conversation you know Easter weekend will be over but I just I couldn't help but to start with that because both you and I uh, sure. We practice this, practice mm-hmm. this, and the key word is practice. None of us are perfect, but I'm right with you. I, we we usually in the black church deal with the seven last words of yeah. Jesus at this time, you know. And uh, speaking of the black church, uh, you certainly uh, were side by side and continue to be by the side <coughs> of someone who is very symbolic of that black church in, in his own right, and that is the Reverend yeah. Jesse Jackson. I think. You know, some of the more powerful moments in in my my life were that campaign, but some of the more powerful moments in that campaign were the events in the church. Um, and I traveled in to so many cities, to so many churches, um, and was moved by the faith, by the power of the message, um, and and by several people that I got to meet. Uh, from C.T. Vivian and Wyatt T. Walker and 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 Joe Lowry and and people who um, were pretty extraordinary and you know I, I felt fortunate that I got to know almost everybody that was in the circle of Dr. King um, and and feel very strongly about them. They were they were they were they were really formative influences in my life. And it was the Black Church. It was the Black Church that 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 that. They were in the womb of the black church. They they came out of the womb of the black church. They were nursed in the black church. 
Uh, and I remember yes. this powerful line from uh, W.E.B. Du Bois where he says, if you, uh, if you want to know the meaning of America, if you want to know the values of America, where do you go? You go to the souls of black folk um, because and they yes. represent the message of liberation. They represent the message of freedom, of, of justice. Um, and I, you know, I took it seriously, took it seriously then, take it seriously now. Yes, you do. And as do I. And you're right about that book. And I would just recommend to folks who are joining us on this journey today on Hello Somebody to if they've never read Dr. W.E.B. E. Du Bois's Souls of Black Folks, that they read it. That is a timeless, mm -hmm. timeless classic. Mm -hmm. And it is certain, certainly an extraordinary book. You know, one thing I'm thinking about in that book, Doc, and that is still linked to Reverend Jesse Jackson, and I want you to talk a little bit. Well, first of all, I want to know how you two met. That's number <laughs> one. And number two, there's a, there, you know, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois in The Souls of Black Folks, he talks about this warring. He talks about, you know, black people having like two forces that they war with internally. One is American and the other one is African. And mm -hmm. he, I, I believe he put it that way because the African-American community historically has had to face um, the, 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 God, I'm trying to find a way to word this PG. I want this to be very uplifting, but would have have had to deal with like the erasure of our historic identity mm -hmm. to be able to survive with uh, the forced. You know, when people talk about immigration, they oftentimes mm -hmm. forget that there's one group that didn't like didn't come over here on their own. The force and and Dr. W. B. Du Bois recognized the warring that would take place in mm -hmm. the souls of black people uh, because of that, because we never got the opportunity to really true, truly be our, our ancestral selves because by force we were brought over here to America and pretty much had to deal with that. So to me, there is a connection between what Dr. W.B. Du Bois was talking about in the souls of black folks and how transformative Reverend Jesse Jackson's campaign was in 19. It was, it, it was because Irvin Jackson was a bridge. There were, it was interesting. Did you know Ron Walters? No, you asked me that all the time. You yeah, gave me Ron something was, that he wrote. Uh, Ron was professor at Howard University. He was one of the main advisors to uh, SCLC and Walter Fontroy and the Black Caucus at the time in Congress. Uh, and the two people that I first met um, in, when I first came to Washington in 1968 were Jack O'Dell who was one of Reverend's closest advisors and had been with Dr. King and, and Ron Walters. And um, there were a number of issues that came along the way where, you know, there was tension in the, the, the Jackson circle. Um, 1983, the 20th anniversary of the March on Washington, um, we were invited to be on the National Steering Committee. Um, Arab Americans were. And, some of the Jewish groups said, we're pulling out. If you have the Arabs marching, we're not marching. They weren't there in, in, in the 60s, which was insulting and hurtful because we were. Uh, we marched and, um, and there were uh, leading Arab Americans in the South uh, in the lunch counter, uh, the lunch counter demonstrations in, in, uh, in North Carolina. There was an Arab American priest um, in in uh, in Georgia, who who marched with King, yes. um, and 
we we were there. Uh, I marched uh, in Syracuse and in and and you know where I when when I was in school in, in Syracuse and in Philadelphia. I mean, it was it was insulting to say we weren't there. But what was also wrong was that they wanted to deny our very presence in 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 the movement. And um, Reverend fought for us. Uh, Lowry fought for us. Uh, Fauntroy fought for us, uh, but there were those who didn't want us in it. And I remember Ron Walters um, came to me one day and he said, you know what's going on here? He said, there's a split in, in the black identity. He said, there are, there are some, and I, 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 I say this with all due respect, but I just want to quote and be fair to Ron Walters. He said, yes. um, he said, there are some who look in the mirror and say, I'm almost white. I can be white. He said, and there are those, especially after the culture nationalist movement took hold, who embrace their Africanness, who look in the mirror and say, I'm a black man and I'm proud of who I am. And yes. he said, um, he said, so when the first crowd look at you, they see a person of color who's dragging them down, third world, Arab, all that stuff. He said, and then when the, the cultural nationalists look at you, they see a brother and they say, that's my guy, I wanna be with him. And he said, you, you find yourself in the middle of this tension over who we are. That's um, right. And, and Reverend bridged that, because he was both a part of the traditional civil rights movement, but he was also part of the cultural nationalist movement. And so what Reverend said was what we need is not a dialogue. The Jewish community said we need an era, a, a black Jewish dialogue. And Reverend said, no, we need a trialogue because we are split as a community and between two peoples, and we need to bring it all together because that brings together who we are. We're part of you, and we're part of you, and we have to have a conversation, all, uh, all three of us. Um, I remember he gave an incredible speech at a synagogue in, um, uh, in New Hampshire where he focused on that, that trialogue message. It was pretty, pretty powerful stuff. You asked when I first met him. Um, it was... Um, it was in the 70s. Um, I met Jack, met Reverend through Jack. Um, and then uh, the Andy Young thing happened uh, where Andy got bounced from the UN for meeting with a PLO representative. And Reverend says, I'm going to see Arafat in Beirut because Lowry and Fontre had gone. I had a conference going on at the time. And um, uh, they... Lowry and, and Fontroy came and spoke at the conference as they were coming back from Beirut and Reverend was just on his way to Beirut. And yes. so Reverend came to speak at the conference. Um, it was powerful. He was just amazing. Well, I'll never forget. He said to me, I, I was going out to introduce him and I was, uh, we were off stage and he leaned over and he said to me, he said, Zogby, he said, uh, the eyes of the world are on you now because we had every every network in the country was there and all the newspapers were there. He said, uh, he said, when you're in the wings where you've been most of your life, he said, you can say anything you want and get away with it. He said, you're going to be the eyes of the world are listening and, and the eyes of the world are seeing you and the ears are hearing you. He said, therefore, what you say matters. Be careful. And so, you know, interesting kind of sense of I got to be careful how I talk here. You know, I, I'm, I'm talking I'm representing him. I'm, I'm speaking about him. Um, he and went to Beirut. Hmm? And creating, Doc, and creating opportunities for understanding. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. the, the, your very presence in that moment opened up. It was huge. Uh, 
the imagination of people yeah. who had never probably heretofore seen. So we, we uh, started so working together then, uh, and we worked together on a number of things between then and 1983. And he came to a conference that we were doing in 1983. And uh, after it was over, he, he said to me, he said, uh, I want you to come work with me on the campaign uh, as a deputy campaign manager. And I said, but Reverend, I've been building this organization, the Anti-Discrimination Committee for four years. He looked at me, he said, you'll do more for your community in the next four months than you've done in the last four years. And he was right. I mean, the... Yeah. It was the first presidential campaign to include Arab Americans. Uh, people got so excited. Is that right? In 1984 yeah. was the first. 84, first one. I mean, even after after we did this incredible work in the Jackson campaign, Mondale gave money back to Arab American donors. Dukakis really? rejected our endorsement in 1984, in 1988, rather. Was that um, because a, of... Um, the Arab stuff. They culture. didn't want to be associated with okay. Arab Americans. I mean, the guys who gave money to Mondale were five board members of the St. Jude Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. I mean, these were, you know, very prominent business people, uh, had nothing to do with Middle East politics at all. Right. But yeah. um, people said uh, in the Mondale cir circle, they said, if you take this money, it's going to be a problem for you. I mean, we had issues. Reverend was not afraid of it. Um, and because people felt that and because he spoke about uh, justice for us here and inclusion for us here. He'd seen what happened during the march in 1983, and he fought for us. Uh, people responded. I mean, the turnout was just stunning. And we actually, the Arab American Institute that I run was founded um, in the 84 presidential campaign because I said, what we did here, I want to continue. So the project of the Institute was voter registration, mobilization and campaigns, getting behind candidates that support, you know, the, the whole the whole idea was born out of the Jackson campaign. Yeah. So which, is it fair I, to say without uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson was exactly right. He changed your life. Yeah, yeah it completely changed my life and changed the life of the Arab American community. There was just yeah. no question that our empowerment uh, got a, a, a big jump start. With uh, with Reverend Jackson's uh, uh, inspiration and involvement, um, what do, what do you think made him so courageous? You know, it takes a lot, as you and I know, in the work that we did in 2016 and also 2020, supporting another transformative candidate. Mm -hmm. But let me go back because I think 84 and 88, actually, hindsight being 2020, as they say, definitely laid the foundation for 16 and 2020. What was it about Reverend that gave him such courage and confidence to go against the grain in many ways, but especially in forging a strong public relationship on the presidential level with the Arab American community? You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. 
Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. You know, I've always held that Christianity is an ornery religion. It's not a feel good, be safe, you know, kind of thing. I mean, Jesus ate with the, you know, with the tax collectors and the and the prostitutes and the sinners. And he he, he, he touched the lepers. I mean, he he was uh, and, you know, I mean, look, what other religion says the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first and elevate the uh, the lowly and and bring the kings down from their thrones. I mean, that whole sense of, and so speaking about justice for Palestinians just made sense. I mean, it's like, there was something, my son actually was a a Jackson delegate in, uh, in 88. He was one of the youngest, I think, delegates of the convention that year. And he wrote a paper um, as a very young man, uh, capturing the theology of Jesse Jackson in the sense that they're, they're unlike some other black leaders that came after and ran for public office and president and all that stuff, no names mentioned. There was no something names. profoundly um, moral about Reverend's message, right? I mean, it was, it was, I mean, he could speak with authenticity to the, to the black community about fathers being responsible for their children, right? About, about, lifting ourselves up and not depending. I mean, when he Clinton talked about welfare reform in a cruel way, Reverend didn't want did. government to cut welfare. He wanted uh, he wanted black empowerment from the bottom up. I mean, one of the things I learned in the 84 campaign when we were doing fundraising was that our biggest base of donors were black entrepreneurs who had gotten their start because of Reverend's boycotts. I mean, when he boycotted McDonald's, 400 people got franchises. When he boycotted Anheuser-Busch, black people got distributorships. When he boycotted, you know, he, he, he lifted people up. It was, and, it, and it was done out of a moral sense that we have to balance this, not by giving, but by earning and taking what is ours and demanding what, what should be ours. And, um, and so I, I think that, that moral compass um, was what made him so uh, attractive uh, to us um, and also what made him focus on issues and not back away. I mean, look, early on in the campaign, I remember there was a group of, a group of folks came to him uh, from the Jewish community again. And they said, you know, if you keep Zogby on the campaign, you know, you're going to you're going to lose support. And um, I said, oh, shit, I'm done. You know, I thought this I'm, I'm over now. And he said you know what? It's not going to happen. It was like he, he never made that kind of choice to back away from what he knew was right. And when he embraced um, uh, gay liberation, um, the ministers were beside themselves. He was not going to back away. It was the right thing to do. I mean, he had a moral compass. People don't credit him for that. Um, 
they focus on the rhetoric or they focus on the, you know, whatever the, all of the racist images of angry black man, you know, kind of thing. But no, this was a moral man who actually challenged what was wrong and stuck with it um, without ever compromising his principles. I was, I was, I was really struck by that in the years I worked with them. And to this day, I mean, he's still out there uh, on the front lines, uh, holding it down. I remember I, I was doing an internship or fellowship, as they call it now, for the Ohio Legislative Service Commission in the 90s. And Reverend, and Doc, you may remember this, Reverend was on a tour throughout the country to try to bring urban and rural folks together. You know, he always had a sense that we we rise and fall uh, together. And I thought that tour, I mean, I was in my, I probably was in my uh, early 30s at that time. And, and certainly I, I knew of Reverend Jesse Jackson, but just to have him live and in living color, you know, down in, in, in Columbus, in the in the halls of the, of the Capitol, uh, talking to the Democratic caucus, and while he was on, you know, he was stopping by on his way to parts mm-hmm. of Southern Ohio. And it was the, ur- he wanted to see urban and rural Americans come together for a greater good. And so to me, and let's talk about this, you know, when I think about the poor people's campaign that was started by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the 60s, and -hmm. then you, we go into the 70s where you have somebody like Congresswoman Barbara Jordan, you know, push aside all all notions of, of, of what a presidential candidate should look like. She shook off all of that. And even in the face of some folks who were black with fancy titles and women's rights movements, leaders did not support her. She said, I'm going anyhow and Mm -hmm. I am going to speak a certain truth to power in this moment like only a black woman could. So you got the 60s, you got the 70s, and then you got the Reverend Jesse Jackson in the 80s to find the odds. Yeah, Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm, yeah, Yeah. in the 70s, in 1972. But we're building. I mean, justice is something you build on. It just doesn't happen. We got layers to this thing. So Reverend really took, I think, a lot of what the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was doing in the 60s with the Poor People's Campaign. And so in the 80s, but then also in the late 90s, he's still keeping this rainbow coalition idea going. And I was just enamored by the fact that he was trying to unite urban and rural people on their collective interests, their economic interests. In 88, he did a tour of Appalachia. Um, Mm -hmm. Did think... Nobody else was doing it. I mean, Bobby Kennedy had done it at one point, but no, nobody else tied together since Bobby Kennedy, right? The, the situation of the urban poor, the rural poor, and the, the mountain folk who had been yes. completely left aside. And, um, and it was interesting because Reverend would go to these communities and the turnout was amazing. I mean, people would, because he was going to them. He went to Indian reservations. He went to the barrios. He, he, um, he had a natural inclination to go to the downtrodden and the forgotten. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he would, and it was biblical, right? It was the, the stone that had been cast aside becomes the cornerstone. Um, and, uh, yes. and so he, it was, it was central to his self-definition. Look there, there I was going to say, um, one of the things that's been forgotten is that what Reverend also understood was that um, there was 
he would say if it's the right thing to do and a politically smart thing to do, it's the the thing that we got to do. So it it would be um, it would be wrong to ignore that in the '84 campaign. Yes, he was raising all of these issues, but there was a political smartness to it um, because his strategy, the the sort of the the bottom line strategy was black voter registration. Uh, which lagged, and his campaign was focused. It was our time has come. It was we have to increase black voter registration. He had the numbers. I mean, I don't I don't know anybody who internalized numbers and could regurgitate them in a speech and make it so compre- comprehensible as as Reverend Jackson. You do a briefing for him, and you'd say he's not paying attention to a word we're saying right now. But then. 10 minutes later, he'd be out on stage and it'd all be coming back, you know, and it was like, and he'd Jesseize it. He'd make it even better than anything you'd ever (laughs) dreamt of saying. So at the end of the 84 campaign, his goal had been increased black voter registration in order to increase black uh, participation in the process and to elect black elected officials. And look what happened. Democrats won the Senate in 86. Why? Because we turned seats in the South I mean, Shelby was yes. a Democrat before he was a Republican. We elected him as a result of the 84 campaign. We undid all of the Reagan victories in the South because of black votes. And then we elected a mayor in, in Cleveland, and we elected a governor in, uh, in, in Virginia, Virginia, and we elected a mayor in New York, and, and, and on and on. And it was a product of a really smart but also moral political strategy of 84. Sure. And so those two things can go together. And and Reverend Jackson showed very clearly that they can go together. So as we fast forward, okay, justice is a layering on top of each other decade after decade. And we have uh, Reverend William Barber, who is carrying on the great tradition of, Mm of Dr. King. And I would say in many ways, also Reverend Jackson, in terms of trying to get uh, people who have a class similarities to, to come together in the 21st century. Uh, I believe there are about 140 million people who are in that category, either very low income, you know, or just flat out living in poverty. And as mm-hmm. Reverend Barber continues to remind this nation that numerically most of those people are white. Mm -hmm. Uh, proportionally, you know, is African-American. But he makes that finer point just to show that we really all uh, rise and fall together and that this class struggle requires people from all backgrounds to be united as we push Mm -hmm. to form a more perfect union. Is that, I mean, to me, Reverend Jackson certainly embodied uh, those values. Absolutely. And and he had, he would always quote those numbers about, the, the white poor, the ignored white poor. That's right. Um, again, that that was a Bobby Kennedy, you know, Michael Harrington. Um, it, it's you know, in some circles, it's a, it's a bad word, but it was a fundamentally socialist notion that you lift all boats up uh, when the you know, and and you have to focus on everybody. Look, the um, it was um, uh, I, I you know look. If you if you think about it, the, the line that you mentioned, the continuum. Also, you have to put Bernie Sanders in that in that mix too. Oh, absolutely! Um, one of the great opportunities I had 
um, was to speak in Greenville, South Carolina uh, last year on Martin Luther King Day, a dinner honoring Reverend Jackson, uh, and I was a Bernie Sanders surrogate. Yes. Uh, my wife, as you know, was in the hospital then, and uh, when she heard about the event, she said, you got to go. Uh, it, it brings together too many parts of your life, and I, I had the opportunity to, to, to go and do it, and I tied together in my talk um, uh, how in his time, we've made Martin Luther King into this Santa Claus figure, you know, this warm, good, good feeling, you know, let's all like get fuzzy about, about Dr. King and little kids holding hands. He was a revolutionary figure. He he was was. a socialist. He was, he was somebody who by the end of his life, I mean, his, his opposition to the war in Vietnam, his poor people's campaign, when he went to Memphis uh, to fight the for the sanitation workers, workers. Yeah. it was like, what is he doing this for? It was like people were furious with him. Um, but that same tradition continued into Reverend and then continued into into Bernie. Um, and it was um, it was something that drew me to Bernie in in the same way. It was th- th- this was somebody whose message was fundamentally moral, um, and it was the right thing to do. Um, and uh, and that's where you and I met and uh, and bonded over that that uh, that that mission. Um, and that's why I'm supporting you for Congress. Well, well, thank you, Doc. <laughs> and and uh, we've been together ever since. And you've been such a bright light to me on many levels. I mean, we served Senator Sanders' mission in 2016, and then we were board members together at our revolution, getting that thing, you know, getting that organization started and it's still doing great work to this moment to movement build that you do need individuals who are willing to stand up and stand strong. But the movement has to move beyond the personalities. And you and I have many conversations about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you are, I mean, you are just such a blessing. Um, you are known, you and your brother. I mean, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I've known of you <laughs> even before I got the chance to serve side by side with you because the Zogby brothers are, are certainly deep in the streets when it comes to polling. And that is your, 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 your gift area. And you guys are just known all across the country uh, for the work that you do. And then for you to lead the Arab American Institute, where you bring people together in such a powerful way. I mean, you lift up the Arab American community and you bring people together. You are such a bridge and you definitely have been a blessing Thank in my you. life. And you and the missus, and I know you miss her every day, and and I miss her too. And she was just so committed to this movement. And I remember many conversations you and I have had, you know, even when she wasn't feeling well, she was pushing you to keep doing such a Mm -hmm. great work. And you're, you know, you've left it, you're leaving your mark every single day. So I'm going to put, you remember this? I was in your office. I do. I do. And uh, you gave this to me and it's called Towards a Just Society and a Peaceful World. And it is the Jesse Jackson presidential campaign, 1984. Oh, my God. Doc, I and and then on the back, I want, you know, I want the people who are listening to us to they might not necessarily get to see this. We are interviewing and Doc and I are on Zoom, so we get to see each other, but you might not get to see this. But on the back of this, just so powerful, I have a dream. Our time has come. Doc, has our time come? And what, what is our meant time by has, this? Our, our time, time has, has come. been coming. And, and I think that, it, it, you know, look, I am one of those who believes that 
there are setbacks, but it gets better all the time. People say to me, when I when I talk that way, they say to me, oh, come on, you're just saying the cup's half full and it's really half empty. And I'm saying, no, I remember when we didn't have a cup. Um, and the fact is, is that we are building. Uh, we are stronger. Um, and and uh, history didn't begin last week. Uh, it, it began the long haul. I mean, people talk about war and there's war all over the world. Think about the last century. How many tens of millions died in war? Um, and yeah, people are still dying. But in fact, sometimes it's like we know we know more evil because communication has made it possible for us to be aware of it. But people have been dying and people have been discriminated against and people have been in slavery and people have been in poverty and people have been suffering from all kinds of disease from time immemorial. But we're at a point today where we are more conscious. And therefore, when That's you're right. more conscious, you are more capable of addressing and correcting these situations. And so I'm of the firm belief that our time is still coming. I mean, we're still, look, we are better today than we were 20 years ago, better than we were 10 years ago. We've had setbacks to be sure, no doubt, but we are stronger. Um, and look at the, the, the number of, you talked about, you know, it's not one person. It's look at the number of progressive leaders all over the country today who are melded together, bonded together in a movement on so many fronts that didn't even exist before. I mean, gay people have been discriminated against. Trans people have been living in the shadows. That's um, right. For 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 generations and generations and generations. And today, we got people championing these causes. Didn't yes. they weren't causes before. Now they're causes and we're right. fighting for them. And um, and so I am um, I'm an optimist, but I'm a think I'm a realist because I look at it and I say, it's real what's happening and we're moving forward. And um, um, and so I, I think we leave the world better than we left it, than, than we came into it. And uh, and our grandchildren are going to be able to leave it even better still because we impart to them not just the victories that we won, but the values that we inherited and that we, we pass on to the, to the next generation. So I, yeah, I mean, I remember when Reverend first ran, there was this gathering of all of the, the black caucus and civil rights leaders and stuff. And so they said, somebody has got to do it. Well, Reverend had the ego big enough to, to go out and do it. And he had a champion. Uh, John Conyers. John Conyers wrote an op-ed in the New York Times and said, our time's coming. Reverend Jackson's the guy to do it. And everybody just fell in line behind him, not knowing what would happen. But out of that 84 campaign came the victories in 86. Out of the 86 campaign came the, the 88 uh, campaign. Out of the 88 campaign came a progressive movement that continues on till this day, the Rainbow Coalition that you mentioned, that yes. Bernie Sanders was the inheritor of, and the groups that it has spawned across the country are really quite substantial. And the consciousness that has grown is absolutely uh, breathtaking when you think about the extent um, of the progressive movement today and the values that we that we have and that we're you know that we're fighting for. 
All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pretty pretty good stuff. That's abs- absolutely right. It is. And if we look at it that way, I mean, we're going to have many more battles where we have had quite a few great victories and more to come because I believe that the progressive movement's victories are... Uh, the victories for humanity. You know, you make me think about how Reverend and Senator Sanders came together. They were together. Senator uh, supported Reverend Jackson. I think there were only two white elected officials who uh, supported uh, Reverend, and that was Senator Bernie Sanders, who was not Senator Sanders at the time. He was Mayor Sanders. And also our dear friend from the great state of Texas, Jim Hightower. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those two, those were the two. I mean, and you look at where we've come and to see to see Reverend Jackson and Senator Sanders side by side in 2020, albeit late. You know, I wish we had gotten the Reverend earlier in the campaign. Mm-hmm. But it was just so powerful to see those two men come together and just the photos of of them being in the room together. And um, just, I feel in many ways, really coming full circle. Did you ever listen to the speech when Bernie endorsed Jesse back in the 80s? Yes. yes. It's the same speech he gives today. Today, that's it. It's it's striking. (laughs) It's striking. He sounds the same and he's saying the same stuff. And, And back then he was an oddity and today he is... In not quite the mainstream, yeah, but it is a strong stream. Um, it's a stream that actually is much bigger and uh, than it ever was back in the when he was mayor of Burlington. Um, well, he's definitely I mean, shaping it, thought. He's he's yeah. shaping the consciousness, and he's very consistent. Very consistent. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
these the issues he fought for that were like out. What's he talking about Medicare for all? What's he talking about justice for workers? What's he talking? You know, it's like yeah, so you know, it's all common sense right now. Um, That's right. Environment. We didn't even know when when Earth Day first happened in the in the in the late sixties, early seventies. It was like, what's this all about? It really was kind of like a, a a sort of a gooey. Let's all love the planet and hug it and whatever. But we are today conscious in a way that we never were before. And you talk about a Green New Deal today. It is not just it. it it's an imperative, but it's also. We have a, I mean, my grandkids today know more about what is happening to the environment than I knew, you know, five years ago. Um, yes. It's, it's stunning how far we've come in this, in it this is. way. I, I wish and it, I wish it you... all happened 50 years ago, but it is what it is. And we're still, we're growing. I totally agree with that. And scientists are saying we don't have a whole lot of time to get it together, Doc. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, too, wish we had gotten it together about 20 years ago. So one quote and then, Doc, I want you to respond to this quote and then just share with people. So we're in this moment where the pandemic and a lot of people are suffering, either unemployment, underemployment. Some of the things that you and I were working towards and still do to this day, people were working or were impacted social, socially and economically even before the pandemic has gotten worse. I want you to give people some, some words of hope since you do see you are a realist, as you said, but you are and you are an optimist. And I want you to marry those two things together. But there's something in the 1984 Jesse Jackson for President campaign uh, booklet that you gifted me. And the Reverend said this on March 18, 1984, he said, America is not like a blanket. One unbroken piece of cloth, one color, one character, one texture, one religion. It is more like a quilt of many patches, many pieces, many colors, many textures, many religions, many sizes. Mm -hmm. And yet everybody fits somewhere. Everybody is somebody. Judge human rights by one set of rules, and we shall all rise together in peace and harmony. Doc, talk to me about that. Poetry. Visionary. Oh. Um, just, just so profound. And, and yet, if you think that now today, that still resonates, right? And, and it has power. Yes. But back in 1984... It was breathtaking in its scope to say measure human rights by one yardstick. Um, we were still we were still living in the period. I mean, look, I grew up in the the leave it to beaver uh, world, you know, where like there was a, a concept of the America of America, what it meant to be American. I didn't look like well, that. We didn't fit I, in. I didn't either. No, I mean, no, I, no, I, I saw the repeats no. and I never, I didn't fit. So you didn't no. fit. I didn't and it, fit. If father knows best. It was that wasn't who we were. And so here, here's somebody right. coming along saying, that's okay. That's there. That's not all of us. We all bring something to this mix. I mean, look, I mean, there, there have always been in America bigots who have affirmed, who have said that to be American is to be this. But if you think about it, and, and that if you're not this, then that's not American, right? We, we just had a president who was doing that, right? Yes. But what, if you think about it, what is American music? 
What is American dance? What is American food? What is American culture? What is American? I mean, it is a collection of all of this. You cannot define America by any one ethnicity, by any one race, by any one religion. We all bring something into this pot that makes us American. And the great thing about America is that um, as we become American, America changes. And Reverend was on the front lines of saying that early on, that it's not just a, a, it's, remember the melting pot was that we would all melt and become this. Don't I? But he was saying, no, we don't melt. We actually become, we find our place in the quilt. And the quilt is a many colored quilt and it's all of us. Um, and I, I, it was it was really quite uh, and, and talk about the optimism and the the realism. It's like that was said then, right? Uh, fully a generation and a half ago, and today it's just common sense. It's just common sense, you know. Um, and and there are still groups fighting for their place, fighting for their piece of the quilt, having it recognized, not denied, not canceled by the dominant culture. We're still fighting against the bigots. But we win. Yes. We win in the end. It's it's not just it's not just the great arc moves toward justice. It also moves toward greater consciousness and greater inclusion, greater respect for diversity. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing play out. That is what we are seeing, Doc. Oh, my God. Well, it has been an immense pleasure to be on this Hello Somebody journey with you, to walk through history and see some of the similarities, many of the similarities to the present, that as things change, they continue to stay the same and that justice is not a destination. It is a journey. And as King Solomon once said, there's nothing new under the sun, Doc. You just laid that out. You're just reminding us that we are just repeating these things with more knowledge and more purpose and more uh, technological advancements to help us uh, gain a deeper understanding. Dr. Jim Zogby, the head of the Arab Let me tell American you one thing Institute. as I close. As I close, yes. if I can. <laughs> this April is Arab American Heritage Month, right? And the DNC yes. today, Jamie, Jamie Harrison, uh, and I issued a joint statement on Arab American heritage. Now, let's go back. When we started the Institute in 1984, we started Arab American Democratic clubs all over the country. No one at the DNC would talk to us. We couldn't even get a meeting to talk about how we bring Arab Americans into the party formally. Um, My goodness. In 1988, after the campaign, Jesse um, got me. Uh, a slot. I came in through the Jackson wave um, and wouldn't have won otherwise a slot on the DNC. They came to me and said, uh, we think you ought to turn it down. And I said, but wh- why? And they said, because Republicans are going to come after us. The Jewish community is going to come after us. They're going to say, you got this pro-Palestinian guy on the DNC. They'll use it in the campaign. Ron Brown came to me and he said, uh, he said, this is painful. He said, but I think you probably ought to step aside and, and not do it. He said, but I promise you, I'll make it up to you. Um, I did. I stepped aside. Um, at the wow. end of the convention in 88, Percy Sutton, do you remember Percy Sutton? Mm-hmm. I do. Right. Percy Sutton saw me as I was leaving. He came and gave me this bear hug. And he said, man, he said, what happened to you at this convention? 
is what happened to us in the 48 convention. We raised civil rights, you raised Palestinian rights, and we were treated in the same way. He said, just keep, keep with it, man, you're, you're gonna be okay. Um, I got home a um, couple months later, you know, Dukakis rejected our endorsements. I'm feeling like, you know, what's going on here? Um, we started our, 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 our whole effort all over again. And uh, Ron Brown becomes chair of the DNC. He calls me, first thing he did in the office. He said, I'm sitting at my desk and I'm telling everybody, my first meeting is gonna be with you to say Arab Americans are included in the party. I wanna meet with you, come over. And I went over and met with him. The door was open. We still had a fight. We still had a fight. But I tell people, and then when he left to become Secretary of Commerce, he said, I told you I'd make it up to you. And he, there was an opening on the DNC. He appointed me to that. And I've been on the DNC ever since. So I tell oh people, my. you guys might have been, you know, taken for granted being in the DNC. I don't take it for granted. I mean, I came in the hard way. But today, we issued a statement jointly, me and the chair, celebrating Arab American Heritage Month. That is the movement of history right? That's a sick. recognition we couldn't have gotten 40-something years ago. Today just is natural, just happens. And I'm proud of that. I feel good about it. It's like I don't, I don't feel like, you know, some people like want more or get mad because it didn't, the wording isn't exact. I just look at it and I say, we are moving forward. And that's what matters. I, I always say, if you want to know where you are, you got to know where you've been. That's it. And then you, that gives you also a sense of where you're going. That's right. And so it's, it was from here to here, and now we're moving this way. And I feel I feel good. Well, you and should. I thank you uh, so much. Meeting you's been a joy in my life, and I'm 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 so thrilled that we're gonna we're gonna have you in Congress, and I'm gonna be by your side the whole time. Thank yes, you so you much. Are, Doc. You're on my policy table, and I love you so very much. And just thank, thank you, you for your study revolutionary hand uh, you are really one of a kind so dr zogby hello somebody thank you hello somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the black effect network for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows at&t connects and ode to podcasts connect the alarm Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hannah Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.